What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. <laughs> Tell us how to get started. Go. And go. You're on. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> welcome, 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 welcome. It is, uh, we, we took a tiny little break there. Um, this is the Hive Jive. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, we we did not actually release a bonus episode or anything for you guys last week. I duly apologize. Um, our, well, my trip to Georgia about stripped my gears, but uh, learned a lot of stuff and we posted some pictures on there for you guys. We did go out. I uh, went out and visited Ken. Mm-hmm. And so... You will be able to find some videos and some photos of Ken's first official hive inspection since mm-hmm. we installed his bees. Mm-hmm. And they are they're actually doing really good, Ken. You're, um, your assessment from the outside and, and what you were seeing and everything kind of led me to believe and just how things go that the the top bars were they were kind of slowly getting along mm-hmm. and the langstroths were just banging it out and doing amazing well, and getting big. Well, you see how busy the langstroths are. Yeah, I mean, they're they're, just they're super busy. But we went out there and I opened them up and took a look and that's the video will actually show you guys like I I went there's two different video sections that are like four or five sections long because I you know Instagram loves to do that 1 minute hold. Man, we didn't even make it through two minutes of the show, Ken, and your phone's already splashing. Already fishing. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a game. If it was not early in the morning, it'd be a drinking game. Um, they We go out there, and we look at it, and the, the videos break them down into segments so everybody can watch and follow along with us on these, uh, in these inspections. But your top bars mm-hmm. are killing it. It's only been three weeks, and they're on an average of one brand-new comb a week. So they've got three brand-new combs already built out on new bars. They're nice and straight. They're beautiful. I've got photos of them out there for you guys to check out. Your Langstroths, mm-hmm. only one new frame of drawn comb. It blew my mind. Is it because I didn't get waxed comb, wax foundation? No. The, so it doesn't matter if you have the actual wax, pure wax foundation mm-hmm. with a wire running through it, or if you mm-hmm. have the plastic foundation with the wax mm-hmm. coating on it. Mm-hmm. it that, that does It's kind of irrelevant. You could even have the, just the empty foundations right. uh, or foundation-less, per se, mm-hmm. and they'll draw the natural comb out on it. But for whatever reason, they're just not. It took them longer to get up to speed. So mm-hmm. even though they they look bigger because you got the bigger frames and the mm-hmm. top bar has smaller things going on it, um, I think they actually just, it's just taken them a little bit to get up to speed. But all in all, this is something that everybody needs to keep in mind. When you first get your bees, there is no timeline. There is no, well, no. they should have a box in the first month. There, none of that exists. So no. don't be hard on yourself. Don't put too much pressure on the bees. Let them do what they're going to do in their own time frame and just learn and follow along and enjoy it. So if your bees do end up making it by the end of June and, and we come into July and they've got that entire box filled out, awesome. That is amazing. If they don't, you know, feed them through July and through August whenever you have the, the summer dearth and they will continue to grow and continue to get bigger. And so long as you can have at least the solid deep filled in your Langstroths by winter, you're good. And if you make it to that second medium box and they get that filled out, then you're you're ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I see a lot of people online that get really discouraged because they don't feel like their bees are growing as fast as they think they should. But it's it just, it's all, it comes in waves. And, you know, there may be a little bit of a lull and then she'll fill up several frames of generations of brood and they'll hatch out and then there'll be this big explosion in wax production for a little while and they'll grow several more frames. So it all, it just takes time. I know on the top bars, I'm sitting here, I'm trying to, how many top bars did you put in there out of the nukes? Between six and eight. Six, and then now there's got three more. And there's three more. So that means they got somewhere around nine or 11. Right. And we say, like for us in our area, 12 to 14 top bars, that's pretty much all they need to survive. Mm -hmm. Everything above that is just kind of honey in the bank. So <laughs> honey in the pot. <laughs> when they fill the whole thing up, I still don't get to pick it. To, to, to. No, okay. So this year, <laughs> no, I, this in all honesty, this year, if they make it above, mm-hmm. say, twelve combs, mm-hmm. and there's a thirteenth and a fourteenth comb in mm-hmm. there, I would not. No, because they need to. No, 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 no. no. I okay. would not pick on you too much. Okay. 
if you took a bar out right. and harvested one bar of honey from okay. it, because we still have six more months mm-hmm. to go through and feed them and make sure that they're they're locked down for winter and everything. So if you did end up getting to that point, sure. The downside, though, is we would literally have to stop feeding entirely for the next month mm-hmm. so that that very last comb, if they did cap it and fill it, we know for a fact it's all nectar and truly honey and not just flavored dehydrated sugar syrup. Okay. And then we also found... Now we've got three wild colonies of bees within <laughs> within a hundred yards so of the house. You have your swarm traps everywhere, yeah, and you're finding bees, but none of them in your swarm traps. <laughs> They've moved into several old trees around the property there, mm-hmm. and uh, but hey, that's okay because we can get them out of those trees eventually, and we'll put them into a hive, and we'll call it good. That'll work. It'll work out great. Well, so a couple of little side note things here from. Going up and doing the Young Harris Bee Institute in Georgia mm-hmm. and doing the, they, they were also, it was in conjunction with the Georgia Master Beekeeper Program. Mm-hmm. Um, Pamela and I actually went up there and we spent the week going through, uh, participating in and, and attending all the, the lectures and the trainings and the classes and stuff. Tons of information, wealth of knowledge. It's, a, it's an amazing place to actually get the knowledge because here in Texas, we have like one mega PhD who all of the research and everything from the B lab and all that stuff at A&M all comes from this one PhD and then all of her students and, and grad students. But up there, there's three of them at the Young Harris Institute, wow. plus a fourth one that is from the um, University of Alabama, I believe, which is not even a day's drive away from there. So you have these four mega hitters down there that are just a wealth of information and knowledge. And one of them is actually going to be down here in June um, mm-hmm. for our what we call our summer clinic, and he's going to be the keynote speaker. And I have spoken to him and asked him if he would be a guest on the show and go through and do an yes. interview with us. Um, I also did the same thing with another gentleman up there who will be coming to Texas, I believe, next year as well. And so we now have uh, an interview scheduled with Keith Delaplane and an interview scheduled with David Tarpey. So we'll go through and we'll talk with them. And I I know that right now in our first year of everything, we're trying to keep everything geared towards that beginner beekeeper. Mm -hmm. But we're probably going to go way off topic with them because they are a wealth of so much information Mm -hmm. and knowledge. We're going to jump to like, you know, fifth year beekeeping kind of thing. And because we want to use that resource for what we can. But that's coming down the road. So we still have the interview actually coming with Ann Harmon as well, who Mm -hmm. is a world-renowned honey judge, and she has done lots of work with Africanized bees, and she's traveled the world doing beekeeping and things, much kind of like Les Crowder has traveled Mm -hmm. the world and stuff. So we have a lot of really great interviews coming down the road here for you guys that we'll kind of interdisperse throughout the show. And today... We actually have a guest in the studio with us, and (laughs) this is actually kind of, it's an interesting little happenstance. Um, You gentlemen invited me to come and be on one of your new episodes for a podcast that you guys are working on, and I was greatly honored for that. DSC's Untamed Heritage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to build up to it, but if you wanted to throw it out there, sure. (laughs) Well, I was going to make sure. Yeah. Now you build up, and then I'll tell it again. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're good, you're good. Um, so, in the studio with us today, we actually have Larry Weishen. And Larry has spent the majority of his entire life as an avid wildlife and habitat conservationist. He is an author of numerous books, and he spent almost four decades doing different nature and wildlife-related TV shows. Most notably and recently, he is part of the DSC's Trailing the Hunter's Moon. Mm-hmm. And coming up... The newest thing about to hit is going to be DSC's Untamed Heritage, which will be a podcast mm-hmm. that you and Larry are both a part of. And It'll so it'll be untamed. Yeah, yeah. Well, anything <laughs> with you, Ken. It's that's how it goes. But so, Larry, I, I I appreciate you coming in and speaking with us today. And and um, some people may be like, well, you know, if it's wildlife and and whatnot, then what does that have to do with bees? But as you had mentioned, like the habitat conservation. That plays a huge role when it comes to beekeeping and how that all is interconnected with everything else. John, you're exactly right, and it's my great pleasure to be here with you. You're right. My, my background is wildlife biologist, and I spent a lot of years setting up wildlife management programs, primarily for, like, the game species, with them being the targeted white-tailed deer, all the different game birds, turkeys, quail, the migratory birds. And when you get right down to it, like with wildlife management, you start at the soil and you build up. 
And what comes out of the soil plants and what perpetuates those plants in a lot of times? Pollinators. Pollinators. That's right. <laughs> so and to me, bees, honeybees play so a very, very important role in everything that we do when it comes to wildlife management, regardless whether we're interested in songbirds or whether we're interested in the small mammals, the large mammals. You know, if it wasn't for the bees and the pollinators out there, everybody and everything would be in trouble. So to me, to be able to spend time with you and learn more about bees. I've, bees to me have always been really important as far as what we're visiting about. But when you start looking at, at the, the culture of the bees and some of the things that I've been able to learn from you, I'm, I'm very totally fascinated by what, what you do and how, how you've accomplished and what you continue to accomplish. The, the bees themselves, even for me, you know, like I, we had that post that we put out there for when, when I was up in Georgia and it was like, you know, never stop learning. So yes, I'm a master beekeeper and I've got all these years of experience and then I've got the years of formal training to get that certification and everything else. And yet I can still go to these seminars and these institutes and still grab these kernels of knowledge and wealth of information from people. And every time, even going day to day and doing something with the bees, I can still walk away and and just be like, wow, they are so fascinating. And you constantly are learning something new from them. And then in the back of my mind, there's always that eerie little, for an insect, they're creepily intelligent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I knew they were intelligent, but when you and I started talking on our, our podcast, we started talking about bees. And again, like the, the, the to me studying it as a culture of how everything comes together in this beehive yeah, and or whatever that home is. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And there's so much that we can learn from that. Not only I think about bees, but also about other wildlife and in our, and ourselves as well. So, uh, to me, it was just overall fascinating. But again, coming back to one of the things that we've always tried to do when it comes to wildlife habitat is to have a diversity and that diversity includes a lot of things that bloom. Or yes. Essentially everything does when you get right down to it. And, yeah. And those bees and other pollinators play such an important role to make sure that there's going to be food available for those animals down the way. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that when people go through and, you know, you hear it online all the time, you hear it on the news, the bees are responsible for a third of every bite of food that you take. So, you know, a third of all the things that we eat, the bees are responsible for. They're 100% responsible for um, avocados. They're 100% responsible for almonds. The majority of them are responsible for your coffee. So the coffee you drink in the morning, that plant, the fruit, that pollination is coming from a honeybee. And you think of those things, and those are the obvious. They jump right out there at you, and, and you're like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. But it's okay because, you know, we can, we can, I can do without that. I cannot have my berries, and I cannot have this because I still wait have this minute, other wait stuff to eat. Wait, wait a minute. Right. Well, that, that's where I'm going. <laughs> so on your guys' show on the podcast for the Untamed Heritage, we talked about how, but that's like you're setting off a domino chain, and you have to think of how that impacts everything else because the bee pollinates the plant. That's how the plant reproduces. If the bee doesn't pollinate the plant, that plant goes away. There's something out there that may be an herbivore that lives on that plant. Or there may be something else out there that also lives on that pollination. Either the, like bats, for instance, are great pollinators. Moths are great pollinators. And those things are food sources for something else. And if you take the one out of the equation, suddenly everything starts breaking down. And you're like, oh, but I'm a meat eater. Well, guess what? That meat Uh, eater has to eat something else. (laughs) And (laughs) yeah, so it all falls apart if you start taking these crucial links out of that chain. It is. I mean, you're exactly right. It's a big, huge circle. It's a continuing circle that comes back. And I mean, you got the pollinator, he's creating these these germinating seed develops, something can buy, eat the seed goes through the digestive system it, it's dropped back out again and i mean it's so uh, it's a continual forage goes to the herbivore the seed goes to the seed eater and, and the pollen and the nectar go to right. the bees and the pollinators and if so, we're lucky us <laughs> and occasionally us you're right yeah. very fortunately us yep yeah it's 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 just it's amazing how everything fits together and how everything works and you have actually had the the joy of being able to travel multiple continents and and doing all of your research and doing the TV shows and everything else you've gotten to go some to some amazing places and 
oddly enough, you happen to run into bees when you're out there. <laughs> you know, you really do. And I, I happen to be one of those people that really enjoys honey as well, too. So uh, I've been very fortunate. The only continent I've not been on is Antarctica, and I have no desire to go down there. <laughs> I don't know that there's bees no, there. so <laughs> I don't think there are any bees there, and there's nothing really there that interests me all that much. Penguins. But, uh, well, the penguins, yeah. But uh, I, I, I just see watch them on TV, to be well, honest with you. But. When As climate change progresses well, and Antarctica thaws out and warms up, up, I'll be happy to go visit. But Absolutely. as for now, I am a warm weather bird. <laughs> I migrate south only to the warmer areas. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. <laughs> but, but, you're, but, but you're right. I've had the opportunity to taste honey from so many different places, and it's very interesting. I, I wish I'd have kept a log of the different places. The nuances, uh, and yeah. the nuances. It's kind of like we were talking about earlier. You know, most people talk. I call them wine snobs, and I'm 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 a wine drinker. I'm not a <laughs> yeah. wine snob. Yeah. And it tickles me how they will take a sip and go. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's got a hint of this, a hint of that. Yep. You know, and we were talking about that, and you, you'd mentioned the fact that uh, you know uh, I always thought that was kind of funny, and then you started paying attention to the different honeys. Yep. And like I said, I wish I had done some of that. You know, I just enjoyed it for the fact that it was honey. But now that you mentioned it, since you've talked about that, I've gone back and I've got like four or five different kinds of honeys at the house, and go. You can taste them and savor yeah. it and be like, you oh. Can say, oh, my gosh, yeah, there is that. There is that. Yeah. So, and I, I see, I, I would go and do presentations on, like, planting for pollinators or why bees are important right. and things like that. And, and a lot of times, especially some of the garden clubs, you know, you, you've got a, an older audience that's in there. And that this is kind of an unfortunate thing for everything when it comes to habitat and, and the outdoors and all of that. It's the older generation is, seems to be all that's left. So for me... I go to these meetings and I'm the president of an association. I'm a director of the state association. And there's a lot of times I'll be in a room and I'm the youngest person in the room. And, and you're like, guys, come on, we've, we've got to be involved. We've got to get going because if you don't teach those younger generations, who's going to take over after you're gone? You know, you have to keep that cycle going. And so that was way off topic from where I was going with that. But 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 it is. And, and, and again, where I was going to go was so <laughs> yeah, Ken didn't even have to throw me off with that one. But where I, and where I was going is I've been very fortunate, like I said, had honey from so many different lands. And including to the point we were in Africa to where I'd be there and a the guy would go over and say, oh, there's a honey. I mean, they would follow honey. I can't remember what the what are the birds ever there. There is yes, the, okay. The, so the, the, there yeah. is a specific yes. bird that has learned it is mutually beneficial for the bird to help the man to find the bee, so the bird can then eat the bees and the larvae and the honey. And what it does, it actually eats the wax. Is really what it's looking for. Looking for the wax, but it can't get into the cavity where the bees are at. So what it does is it comes and it notifies one of the natives. I found a beehive. And some of those tribes have actually come up with their own call that they can do that when they're ready to go look for bees, they'll do that call. The bird knows it, comes and gets the gentleman and takes them to the hive. And then the man tears the hive apart, harvests the honey and the larvae that they want, and the bird just gorges itself on all the scraps. Yeah. And, it's it, a, and it's good. It's delicious. Like I said, I've watched them chop the holes in the trees or take a section out and grab them there and reach them honey. And, of course, I'm standing quite a distance away. <laughs> You're not nearly as close as <laughs> no, they are. No. Yeah. And hoping by the time he gets there with a, with a honeycomb <laughs> in his hand that most of or all the bees are gone. And, and it's absolutely fantastic having it that way. That is, I mean, literally fresh straight Th from the that hive. That is straight from the hive. Yeah, there. So the, the the joke that I would make about like the wine tasting and stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and I'd go and I'd do these presentations, and I would tell them, I'd be like, you know, how many people in here are wine drinkers? And you'd get a big group of them oh, raise sure. their hands, and then I'll insult them right off the bat. I'd be like, you know, I used to think you guys were <laughs> full of it because you sit there and you take your little sip of wine, and you're like, oh, there's like hints of oak and smoke, and there's some peach, and then I'm like, whatever, it's wine. <laughs> and then I got into the honey, and I started tasting the honey, and I was like, wow. Like, you can taste this one's even if it's just on a high level, this is a bouquet of flowers. This one over here is spicy. Like, I can't put my finger on it, but there's spice to it. This one's got some heat to it, you know, like these little things. And then you start learning what plants produce what effect. And we have here, we have horse mint. And horse mint, when it blooms a little bit like later in the spring, early in the summer, that horse mint adds this citrusy zing and it's the last thing you get so it makes this high note like you taste and you're like oh that's good whoa you know you kind of like all of a sudden get this effect from it and so then i told him i was like but now i get it i can do it with honey so maybe you <laughs> wine drinkers are not so crazy i understand now it's all good 
But it's funny because we first say it, their expression on their face is like, excuse me? <laughs> well, you know, that's how I guess we kind of got to know each other. You brought me some honey. Yeah. I told you I like a dark honey. And it, oh, that's a winter honey. That's a fall honey. So he brought me a quart of fall honey. It was dark honey because when I was a kid, daddy would buy, we would trap in South Texas and hunting down there. And there was a beekeeper that we'd pull in there and buy gallons of honey off of. And it was always there in trapping season or hunting season. So it's fall honey that he was selling to dad. And it was a dark honey. And I told John, I said, you can't find the kind of honey that I'm used to and I, that, I, that I know. So John brought me a quart. And as soon as I tasted it, I called him. This is it. This is what I remember. Oh, yeah, it's just fall honey. I said, okay. And it, it has a, almost like you said, it almost has a molasses flavor. Yeah, it's thick. It's rich. Mm-hmm. It's almost bitter to a degree, and it's very akin to molasses. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting, but yet it's honey. Yep. And when you think honey, you think, oh, sweet, light, Mm-mm. you know, floral, these different things. Right. But Mm-mm. that one's not. That one is rich and bitter and dark. And, you know, you can get honeys that are almost like butter. Literally this smooth, creamy butter taste, you know. And then it's just there's so many variants to things. Um, there in Georgia where we were at, they their main thing is sourwood. And sourwood goes into bloom in July it's in the Blue Ridge Mountains. That's and apparently there's a huge rivalry over which states sourwood is <laughs> better, true and better. Right. Um, and they like it is a premium honey to them, and it's a varietal. So at, the, at that time of year, there's not a lot of other things blooming. So the beekeepers can put their hives out there. They can get this honey, and it's got a very distinct flavor to it. It's got a distinct color to it, and it's it's an amazing product. And so all over the world, I mean, even here in Texas. Texas is so big. We have so many different like little mini ecosystems and all the different climates. Every area has a different flavor. Your honey, even in town, could taste radically different than your neighbors on the other side of town. And so you get all these nuances. And then for you being able to travel and go to different countries, it's it's a literally a different world. They have different plants, different species. So the honey is going to be radically different. Some areas, they have different species of bees, which do things differently. And... One of those we had mentioned on your show there was the the Apis dorsata, which is the giant honeybee. Right. And right. I was I was telling Ken he was dumbfounded. I'm dumbfounded by it. But the worker bee is the size of our queen bee. My and I have I have not seen their queen, so I don't know if she's literally the same size as everybody else or if she's even bigger. But they are massive bees. They have a massive attitude to go along with their size, and they make one massive comb, and it's this giant comb. And if you've seen um, more more notably or more recently that when they did the live action remake of the Jungle Book, mm-hmm. that is what they have Mowgli go and, and actually harvest when they're when Baloo's trying to get him to go up and take it. It's this one massive honeycomb. That's what that bee does, and it makes honey. And you've got these, these indigenous people out there that that is a delicacy, and at a certain time of year, the village gets together, and all the men go out, and they harvest this honey, but they're all insane because they're <laughs> hanging off of a cliff on a rope with a thin piece of burlap maybe over part of their face, and they're cutting off this hive that would probably make our Africanized bees look like little teddy bears (laughs) dangling from a rope off a cliff. And I'm like, (laughs) even in my triple layer suit, I don't know that I'm going to dangle off a cliff to get that honey. But I mean, that right there is some dedication. That's (laughs) a triple layer suit and a bee that's, you know, a lot bigger. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the bumblebee, the bumblebee stinger is longer and is smooth and can sting through just about every bee suit that is bee sting proof to a honeybee. You know, I have noticed since I've been watching, you know, since I've got into bees, I'm not seeing as many bumblebees as we used to. Now, see, that was something that Lance Wilson, um, he's one of the authors of our Master Bee mm-hmm. program here in Texas. That was something he mentioned to me when we were up in Georgia. He asked, you know, have you been seeing very many bumblebees lately? Because no. I haven't seen very mm-hmm. many. I have a ton of carpenter bees at the house. Uh, the smaller version. Every mm-hmm. now and then, the larger carpenter bee, which that sucker sounds like a helicopter when it comes in, and it's like, <laughs> you duck. You're like, what was that? Uh, they come in and they go to the passion vines and some of the bigger flowers. I'll find them on the sunflowers. But the the 
the honest to God, what we think of as is, is your traditional bumblebee, the black and yellow mm-hmm. striped. Yeah. I don't hardly see them. I'll see, see the much. black and white and the black and gray mm-hmm. once in a while, but I don't see a lot of the actual regular bumblebee. And that comes back to conservation and habitat because that is one of our native pollinators. And that is something that is in danger. Like everybody, the media focuses on honeybees. And that's great because if you're doing something to help honeybees, you're also helping monarchs and you're also mm-hmm. helping the bats and you're also helping exactly. all the native bees. Mm-hmm. But that is a great sign right there that, you know, habitat has been diminished. The the food source has been diminished. And now we're seeing a diminish in these individual insects that normally would be very plentiful. Now, did you not tell me when we first started this that a bumblebee is what takes to pollinate tomatoes? The sweet bee and uh, certain species of bumblebee are what is responsible for your mm-hmm. tomato crop. That's right. The honeybees won't touch a tomato plant. The the old old adage or wives tale about, you know, if, if your tomato plant's not blooming, you know, grandma would say, go out there and beat it with a broom, you'll brush it, and it would shock it into making fruit. Well, really what it's doing, the pollen grains are very tightly bound inside there, and it takes a vigorous force to pop them loose. The honeybee won't do that, but the bumblebee, it'll grab it and mm-hmm. it bust the pollen grains loose. The sweet bee does it too. And it makes this little, if you're in your garden and you hear this little, mm-hmm. that's the sweet bee. And if you look, it's going into each of your little tomato flowers and it's vibrating and breaking that pollen loose so it can take it back. But yeah. Hmm. And then, and, and again, that's why it takes all sorts. The honeybee may not touch this vegetable or this plant, but there are other bees out there that do. And then those bees may not touch something that the honeybee is, you know, like avocados and things that they're 100% responsible for. So it takes all of them, and we have to pay attention to all of it to make it work. I know when my wife took those pictures, she said, look at these bees. They're pollinating. They're on the pollen of the cactus plant. And yeah. he says, oh, no, those are mason bees. Those were mason bees. They were really cute, actually. And a mason bee looks very similar to a honeybee, just smaller. It's just littler. Now, we're seeing them boring into wood. Yeah, so if you if it is physically digging in the wood, mm-hmm. that's the smaller carpenter bee. If it is basically taking advantage of an existing hole, that's the mason bee. No, these are boring. Yeah, if it's boring into it, then that is actually the, the uh, carpenter bee okay. itself. The mm-hmm. mason bee is great at finding a small cavity left over from mm-hmm. a, a carpenter bee or um, like tree borers. Right, Anything like right. that where they've made a little hole, the mason bee goes, it'll check it out, scope it out, go inside. If it all looks safe, what it does is it collects a bunch of pollen and it makes a nest out of pollen and it'll lay one single egg in that nest. And then it builds a mud wall partition and repeats that process all the way out to the edge of the hole. And then it will close the hole off with mud. And then just like there's so many marvels of nature, they hatch in reverse. So the last egg laid hatches first, it chews out through the mud and leaves, and then the next one behind it chews out through its mud wall, and then they all get out one after the other. It is just, it's crazy how that kind of stuff works. It's like a very nasty topic, the mites, the varroa mite that, Mm -hmm. you know, is the biggest thing that's kind of out there facing honeybees right now. The female mite, the foundress mite, she's pregnant. She goes into the cell right before they're going to cap it, and she hides under the larva and under the food. And they cap the cell, and then when she knows it's all dark and safe, then she comes out, she lays an egg. She feeds on the larva for a little bit, she lays three more eggs. The first egg is a male. It's a, it's a boy. The next three are females. The male hatches first, is sexually mature. By the time the other three eggs hatch, he mates with his sisters. There's a hell of a lot of incest goes on in the mite world. <laughs> mates with his sisters... And then he dies. And so one pregnant mite goes into the cell, three to four to five pregnant mites come out of the cell whenever it opens and the bee comes back out. That's why mites are so hard to keep under control is because their growth is so exponential. You know, if you did a 50% reduction with one treatment in one cycle, you're already back to 100% on your mite load. I mean, it's just, it's insane. Fascinating when you think about it, how it, it, all that it is, comes yes. about. I yeah. mean, my gracious. When you, when you take away the concept of these are evil little blood-sucking vampire creatures that are running havoc and running amok around things, if you just look at it from a scientific perspective or just a curiosity with nature, right. the fascination, nature is amazing on what oh, it can yeah. do and how it works, and we don't give it nearly enough credit. We no, take no, everything no, for granted. No, you're right. 
That's what got me so crazy about all this bee, you know, the getting into the bees and, and the honey. And because I've always wanted to be a beekeeper. When my, uh, this is going to be a whole lot like Les Crowder's thing, but when I was a kid, there was a swarm come up on a, a, a tree. And my dad, we got a bunch of two, one for 12s together and we built a, box we went up there and daddy he ain't scared of no, nothing it flies and stings he just grabs the limb and breaks it off and puts it in the box and we put a lid on it well they died pretty quick but uh uh but you know that's just the other part of the story but i've always wanted to be a beekeeper and then i got to know in the bee, beekeeper that we'd get the honey from and uh pearsall and and i just never went down that path until you know, I uh, got older in life and uh, not fishing all the time now and got a little time. And I said, you know, I'm going to try it. And I met John and you know, I was at Callahan's in a place here in town and I started uh, talking to him. And I said, well, who would help me with this? And that's how I got John's phone number. You know, there's a that that whole reminiscent, you know, you said, oh, that's this is going to be kind of like Les, and Les tells the story of, like, nostalgia mm -hmm. from his grandfather and him, and yours is nostalgia from back in the day when mm -hmm. you and your, your dad and your granddad and things like that, and all that, how, how that all happens. That actually, we run into that time and time and time and time again. Honeybees, even if it's not the bee themselves, if it's the honeycomb, mm -hmm. like, People will pay a premium for honeycomb right. in a jar because to them, it's a symbol of their youth and their childhood because <laughs> it may have been their father or their grandfather or their great-grandfather used to keep bees or grandpa used to take me to the farmer's market and we'd buy this jar. And so, so much of it comes back to remembering your youth and where you came from and your heritage. And it's just, it's amazing how that works. And so there is, there is kind of a, like a spiritual aspect to it in some ways because it means a lot to some people mm -hmm. Just the the relevance of how it fits into their life or how it in some ways shaped and framed their life from an early age going forward. And they may have lost touch with it and then they can come back to it. And <sighs> Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and into that, uh, all the stuff that I have learned and, and what we did, we'd go out and, you know, chop down trees and take the honey out and we did all that kind of stuff. And then I got to reading my history. My family, you know, they carried, they kept journals. And when they were coming from Tennessee or Kentucky, they were traveling across in wagons. And one of my, there'd be a distant cousin, he was Hudson. He, uh, him and his son went, they found a bee tree as the dad did, and he told his son, come with me and carry that bucket. So he was the bucket and the knife carrier. I think he had to carry the, the axe and the bucket. And he was. they were walking to the tree, and a cougar jumped on his dad, the, the older guy, and was chewing on his head. And, when, and the dad had the, the, the axe. When he... The, Cougar jumped on him. He knocked him down and dropped the axe. Well, he saw his dad, the son did, saw his dad reaching for the axe that was in front of him because the cougar's sitting there chewing on his head. Yeah. And the son, he's like 11 years old, runs up to his dad and puts the butcher knife in his hand. Well, as the cougar's chewing on him, he has enough sense to run up, put a butcher knife in his hand, he turns over and kills the cougar with a butcher knife. And I don't know if they went and still got the honey or not, but <laughs> but, but the story <laughs> but, started. But, I mean, what a story! <laughs> I mean, honey, you know? Yeah, and then it's wrote in the it's in our journals or in the Milam history where they came were coming to Texas, and I'm sitting there, wow. So yeah. you know, it's forever. And it, by the way, I can also cure ham and bacon with honey. Yeah, I learned how to do all that when I was a kid. So see, taking taking your the 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 randomness of the cougar and how savage nature and stuff can be, mm -hmm. Larry, you were telling us actually that uh, the co-host for your guys's show, um, that the DSC's trailing the hunter's moon, was out and they actually had a run in with a black bear. They they did. They were up in British Columbia. Actually, as we're doing this, he's still there. I talked to him last night and he. His call was, he says, we're all okay. And my first thought was, oh, my God, you know, there have been some kind of accident or 
you know, they occasionally were in small planes. And, and I thought, you're all okay. You're, what, do, what do you mean? He says, I shot him at about six feet. And I said, what do you mean you shot him at six shot feet? Shot who? Because <laughs> you know? he was, and they, where they were, they were hunting black bear, but there are also a lot of grizzly bear in that area too. British Columbia has unfortunately closed the seasons or hunting on, on grizzly bears for the time being. And, and he said, we were on a stalk going after another bear. And all of a sudden we're confronted with this bear and he starts walking toward us and he gets closer and he gets closer and, and finally the, they holler at him and when they holler at him he charges and he ends up shooting him at just a matter of, of feet rather than yards so uh and this bear was an older bear and apparently he'd been in a fight and he'd been chewed on probably by a younger bear and he's really teed off at the world yep. he saw something that kind of reminded him of anything that was going to be close to him he's probably going to get after and and Thankfully, he had the presence of mind and uh, was using a, a Ruger and Hornady ammo and and uh, got a chance to put the bear down before they got chewed on. Yeah, because, and anybody else potentially could get yeah, hurt. And yeah, there were, there were literally three of them. It was him, the guy, and our camera guy. And for what he, he told me last night, he said, thankfully, we were on a stock, so we had the camera running. Yeah. So we had, wow. actually had two cameras rolling at the same time and were able to. <laughs> To, they to capture this, this random yeah. act of nature. Yeah, he meant something. He mentioned something. He said, "After as soon as I get off the phone, I'm gonna have to go take a shower." Though, so yep, <laughs> I bet. Might have messed myself <laughs> there. Now, <laughs> yeah. so you, you, I can take this now, and I can actually kind of to spin this back around. So, you, you have these examples where you know there are these wild creatures in nature, and they're ferocious, and they, they're, they're designed to be predators and to do all this stuff, Absolutely. and yet. Just like Ken said about, you know, he, he, the uh, not afraid of anything that flies and stings, all of the wild kingdom knows bees, and they know that bees can hurt them. Yes, and, they do. <laughs> yes, and the bees themselves have evolved to where if you are a bear and you're going out there, and again, we've mentioned this before, but, you know, to dissuade the Winnie the Pooh myth, hmm. the bear isn't going after the honey. The bear's going after the brood and the larva because it is very protein and nutrient-dense and fat-dense. And that's a great way to build up reserves and energy reserves if you've got a winter uh, hibernate over the winter. So if you are a giant bear and you've got this thick hide and you're covered in fur, there's not a lot of places you can get the bear that's going to count. But you can go inside the nostrils, the uh, eyelids, the ears. And I mean, they literally go up in the nose and sting you inside the nose. And that's why we tell beekeepers, you know, yeah, you might see the pretty blonde on TV or on Instagram and, you know, they're not wearing a suit and it's all great. But you should always have your veil and always have your smoker because even the the best hive in the world could have an off day and could do that. Mm -hmm. And they, they know faces and they'll go for it. So in the animal kingdom, it doesn't matter what you are, they're going to go for it. And I was telling Larry this story about how in Africa they actually would use the, the original African bee. They would actually line their fences with the beehives and they were suspended up on a rope and when the elephants would come through if the herd got close and bumped one of those ropes it would shake the hive the hive would then go and attack the elephants and the ele it would drive them away so the elephants didn't come in and destroy their crops and you know trample everything and eat everything else and that it's gotten to the point now with technology and other things and the elephants know and have been conditioned to know what happens when they hear that sound they can actually use motion detectors now and they can use recordings of angry hives. And when the elephant sets off the motion detector, the speakers play this angry hive sound and the elephants turn around and leave. And you were telling us how the drones that you guys use for video sounds a lot like a swarm of bees. They they really do. We were down in the southern part of Africa and I was up on a high ridge and, and uh, the camera and said, well, let's just get some real good footage. We'll fly the drone around you and all that kind of thing. I walked walk out to that point. So I walked out of this rocky point and looked down there about two, 300 feet. And there was a, um, a black rhino and he was feeding on some things. And I was watching that black rhino and waiting for the pilot or the cameraman to play pilot, you know, and he takes the drone out and he kind of picks it up. And as he starts picking it up, all of a sudden I'm looking down at this, this rhino and he literally got raised up off of his front feet turned around to look up the hill and immediately took off at a dead run when that drone sound got loud enough because it did <laughs> i've heard the, the i've been flown over by big swarms of bees there yeah. it sounded just exactly like a bunch of bees 
And immediately when he turned around and ran, he did not stop. I don't know where he stopped because I watched him. He'd go over a ridge, and then I'd watch him reappear on the next ridge, go over the next ridge, disappear, go over the next ridge. And the closest we tell is at least three miles to where he was still running. Yeah, he was like, not today. No thanks. No, 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 no bees no, no, for no me. Bees. And it was a straight line, and it didn't make a bit of difference what was in front of him. He knocked he ran, it over. He knocked it over, you know. And, and uh <laughs> And I, we've seen elephants sometimes do the same thing. Where we, uh, there's certain countries there you can't fly drones, but there's some that you are where you can do so. And, and uh, the same thing with the elephants. A lot of times we'll run from them simply because, again, it sounds just like a swarm of bees in their way. Yeah, and it's. I mean, if you're ever in an actual swarm. Everything in your body is screaming, run, because it sounds terrifying. (laughs) It looks terrifying. You know, it's a minimum of 10,000 bees and a massive black cloud flying towards you. But that is actually a a, the true term of swarm. So if you look up swarm in the dictionary, it's basically a bunch of things moving or flying around. Right. But in the bee world, the actual definition of swarm is a reproductive split. It's not. I piss the hive off and they're coming to get me. It's actually this reproductive split. And when they do that, they divide off. And their their sole purpose in life at that point is to find a new place to live. And if that's what they're doing, they have no food to guard. They have no babies to guard. The queen is with them. They have no home to guard. They just have to find a new place. And that's all they focused on. So you can walk through the middle of a swarm so long as you're not like talking, screaming, waving your arms. Just be calm, breathe steady through your nose, and you can walk through the whole swarm and follow them, and they'll fly right around you like you don't exist. And other people, though, see that, and they're like, you're insane! (laughs) But it's like, that is actually the most docile they'll ever be. And and Ken and I had that conversation because they had a swarm come and land on one of their boats, right? and he ran around and cut the rigging and cut the anchor, and they booked it out of there, and I was like, you you lost an anchor for no reason. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, we also had... Uh, the lady that contacted us with the guy in the uh, Cincinnati? Yes, yeah. Um, Rachel, was that her name? Don't put me on the spot. I know, that's where I am, too. Way to go and mention names, kid. Now we got to fact check it and prove it. And now we we have been texting back and forth because she's been... So yeah, but uh, yeah. So uh, we'll we'll go ahead and and give her a shout out. I do believe it actually is Rachel. That sounds right. And the her Instagram, text me. <laughs> her uh, her Instagram is actually Rarity Works, and mm-hmm. she does a bunch of different arts and crafts and things like that. And she does not actually have bees, but she loves bees, yep, and she, she wants to help. Whenever they had the fires here in yes. Texas that all the hives burned, she was actually helping do fundraising yep. to to come in and help those wow. bees, and that was great. And she has put us in contact with I believe the gentleman's name is Dirk mm-hmm. um, and she's put us in contact with him and he was the you know, if you guys saw on the news recently in the United States they they had was it the Red Sox no Ohio Ohio Cincinnati Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Reds yeah there was red in there somewhere yeah, Reds sorry sorry fans of everybody I didn't mean to offend the Red Sox or the Reds either one but um, so you know I, I don't have time to watch TV because I'm always out doing oh, other things I've, so I've, sports what no um, anyhow so they the Cincinnati Reds they were in the middle of one of their baseball games and this massive swarm descended yep. and like the players on the field were like, what's going on and kind of shooing things away. And then it hit the crowd and the audience was starting to freak out. And this gentleman was there yeah, and were. actually knew, you know, he did beekeeping and removals and stuff. And so he knew what to do and he was able to help contain the situation, educate people, keep them calm and, and get them out of there. And so we'll actually be, uh, we're working on getting a interview set up with him mm-hmm. where we can talk with him and just kind of go through and have a fun little chit chat about the experience experience and some of the things that they deal with up there in Ohio. And he does a lot the same things as I do as far as the live removals and captures and stuff. So that'll be something that we will definitely have here on an upcoming show to listen to as well, to uh, look forward to. Yeah. You know, we uh, visiting with him and her. It's just like you said, he knew what to do. These bees, they're, they're not aggressive. They're just looking for a place to, to live. They don't have nothing to, to fight for except a queen. Unless you piss them off. Yep. You go and you spray them with bug spray. And, and that's what they were fixing to do. Yep. They were bringing the uh, pest, the, the whatever they call them. Yeah, that's the, actually a really... Exterminator. That's in. a bad idea. Um, if it's a true exterminator, they're going to use the right kind of stuff and they're going to either foam or soap them down or something so that they can't fly. But, you know, Joe Schmo at their house and they go and grab a can of Raid, <laughs> that is the worst thing you could ever do. Number one... It's only going to kill the bee that it completely soaks. It's just going to piss everybody else off. And you're looking at, like I said, a minimum of 10,000 things Mm -hmm. that can hurt you badly. 
So don't do that. Don't try to take it into your own hands. <laughs> if you ever have a colony that is living in something, don't spray them either. Because if you do, which it's hard to succeed at killing them that way, but yeah. if you do succeed in killing them, what you've done is set off a dirty bomb for the next mile radius from that location. Because now that that colony's dead, they can't protect their food stores. Mm -hmm. Other colonies, bees are very opportunistic. If there's honey already made and we don't have to do poison. the work... They're going to come steal it, and that honey is now tainted with poisons. Yep. You're now going to poison all the colonies that rob from it. Yep. So you've actually created, again, like a domino effect of bad things. Yep. So don't do that. Call yep. a professional or leave them be. Yep. Leave well, them be. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> yeah. It's, it, <laughs> it's a thing that... It's just part of nature. It's yeah. part of life. It's, you know, set back sometimes and just be marveled with the awe of nature and inspired by what all it can do. Sounds good to me. But <laughs> I'm tired. Working. <laughs> uh, if y'all ever want to see what I really do, check out the great outdoors on yeah. my heart. Yeah. So, okay. So, like, you know, round of recognition for everybody in the room. Obviously, you guys are listening to the Hive Jive. And you can always, as you already know, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Hive Jive. You can shoot us emails, info at thehivejive.com. Uh, the podcast, you know, wherever you're listening to it from, thank you very much. We greatly appreciate it. If yes. you have not already done so, please comment, like, and subscribe. That would be awesome. Then you can know every time a new episode comes out. Typically, they're supposed to be the first and third Mondays of every month. Most of the time, we actually put out three to four episodes a month because we'll throw in little bonus segments in the off weeks. And then for Ken... Ken is actually on the radio every Saturday and Sunday, mm -hmm. and it's the Great Outdoors or yeah, the, the Sunday, Sunday Sportsman. Sportsman. Mm -hmm. And you can find that through iHeart specifically, and you can go to iHeart's uh, little drop-down. They've got mm -hmm. an archive of all of his shows. So if you're into hunting and fishing, definitely check that out. And then, obviously, our guest today, Larry. <laughs> Larry Weishan is all over the place. You can go find his books. Trailing you can, the Hunter's Moon. Yeah, you can uh, watch DCS's uh, or DSC's Trailing DSC's the Hunter's Moon. Untamed Heritage. And that one is coming up. The yeah. Untamed Heritage. That is going to be a new podcast, and it's going to actually have some video content and some special things to it. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I got to be a part of one of the episodes. It is great fun. There's great education in there. It's all geared back towards some of these lost arts that, that are kind of going by the wayside yep. and, and getting everybody back into the outdoors and into nature and into conservation and habitat. And how can you do this? And how can you make this out of something old? Or if you're hunting, you know, like, how can you do it better? How can you be a better fisherman? How can you do it and still preserve everything that's going on around you so that there's stuff for future generations to be able to partake in nature and for us to have these great things. So you can check that out. That one will be coming up and it will be out there. If you're listening to us on any of your your podcast platforms mm -hmm. you'll be able to find it as well and that one is going to be called the dsc's untamed heritage yep and uh, that will be ken and larry and they've they've got lots of adventures in store for you guys so definitely check that out as well and then chico keeps us straight oh poor chico <laughs> <laughs> except chico won't take no pictures of bees chico's afraid of, well okay so let me rephrase that chico specifically said he's not afraid of bees he just had a dumb moment as a kid where he took a stick to a hive. They stung him in the nose. He has a scar. His eyes swell shut. And he has a healthy respect for bees. And he says he can't breathe. And he's not getting anywhere near them. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that was his point, I think. <laughs> Thank you, Chico. <laughs> yeah. And we was going to get some good video of the bees, but we didn't get it. No, nope, Except we John got it. Yeah. I took some with the phone and everything. And that it's, it's not as easy to do when you're doing it yourself. You know, you got to prop it up and get it to go and stuff. But I tried to convince him that nobody... Nobody would get him through that triple layer suit. And he was like, I might be able to do that for 30 minutes to an hour. But I still didn't get him convinced enough nope. to actually get <laughs> nope. him to do it. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> we'll so. keep working on it. We'll get there one of these days. Well, we'll show him more pictures of my bees and probably all the other bees that I'm fixing to be getting for long. Yeah, you got more on the way. I've got more on the way. So Ken's going to we'll be, be so in over his head with bees, he's not going to know what to do. Well, i got the place over at Mason. It's covered in... Uh, it's covered in everything. Um, yeah, there there really are pictures is. online of that, too. The The one that I just posted recently on our Instagram that I was like, you know, the, the beauty of uh, the beauty and abundance of the Texas wildflowers sometimes crazy. can be breathtaking. It's astonishing. That photo is like not even half a mile from Ken's house. I mean, it's just yeah. it's overflowing with flowers out there at the moment. It's and gorgeous. the horse mint right now in Mason County is just purple. I mean, it looks like somebody took a purple paintbrush and just 
marked the ground. Yeah, that's that's what it's Larry crazy. was saying on his drive in today. He saw some east of town that was oh like seas gosh, of purple. It was like 150 acres of it. I mean, mm. unbelievable. And I didn't, I couldn't see anything else out there. I actually turned around after you had told me about what it was. I know a little bit about plants, but I thought, God, that couldn't have been horse mint. Yeah. It was. It, it was. was almost exclusively horse mint for mm, that size. Some good I looked honey. around to see <laughs> oh, yeah. if there were any hives there. I did see some bees flying around, but yep. I couldn't see any hives very close. But as yeah. you've mentioned in the past, when I've asked you about it, they will travel quite a way to get there. They so will. Absolutely. i got a feeling somebody's either, it may be one of those natural hives that we're talking about. One, oh, one oh. of Ken's feral hives in a tree. Yeah, feral, feral, feral hives, hives around feral my part of the world. Everywhere but in his swarm traps. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, we'll have fix that <laughs> we'll get there i, I had uh, the two swarm traps out at the main apiary they actually got occupied and i went and deposited them into hives and then went and put the swarm traps back out one of them has another swarm back wow out. so there you go it, it it sometimes there's some seasons i don't get any in any of them they're still not free though no they're not yes lots of work and effort yeah. to build that swarm trap and yeah, then you got to hoist it up there and yep it takes effort. All of it takes effort. Nothing in this life is free. No. Nope. And then you got to requeen them if they're aggressive. Yep. So, you got yep. a little bad attitude. Put in a new queen. Are we gone? Are we done? I'm sleepy. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> appreciate you guys listening. Thank you again, Larry, for being our guest today. We greatly appreciate your truly, knowledge and presence here. Truly honored. Thank you so very much for having me. That was fun. That was. Yeah. And uh, Larry... Find him on Trailing the Hunter's Moon. What days? Uh, we're well, it's Blake now. Well, but it, you're yeah, still we're, there on, too. we're on the Pursuit Channel year round on Thursday evenings, nine thirty Eastern time, and I think three other times throughout the week that they can they can go to the Pursuit Channel or go to Pursuit Up TV, and uh, it's free there as in, in several other places. We also have a YouTube channel now as well with uh, DSC Trail the Hunter's Moon and, and uh, as far as getting in touch with me personally and if they're on Facebook they can go to Larry Wyson Outdoors and get in touch with me there and you'll also be able to find the Untamed Heritage at that same location yep. as yes, well sir. it'll be advertised there so yep. watch his Facebook site there that he just gave you guys and that's where you're going to see the notifications and stuff come out when that is released and it's it's getting close and there's a big organization that uh, you're a part of uh, we're a part of it sponsor our show uh Dallas Fire Clubs, and Absolutely. they're great conservationists. They, they really are. I mean, don't let the safari part of it throw you because it is a group of, of individuals and companies, if you will, who are greatly in supportive of, of wildlife management and conservation, not only on safari, but here in North America and other parts of the world, too. Often ask how does it compare to some of the other organizations, conservation organizations, and to me it's a contrast to all the rest of them. They're so far above everything, and and uh, so proud to be associated with them and have them involved with our TV show, and particularly now with uh, with our uh, with the new, new podcast. podcast. Yeah. And if so, they want to contact DSC, if they want to learn more about DSC, they can go to biggame.org. That's b-i-g-g-a-m-e dot org. There you go. Now you guys got homework. Get out there, start looking it up. Yeah. I know we've got a lot of followers that are into hunting and fishing, not just beekeeping. So go check it out. Well, most of your beekeepers are a bunch of rednecks, sort of like me. That's why they like me. <laughs> well, if they're in Texas, they sure as heck are. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that that's uh, we'll we'll call her good. We'll wrap it up. Y'all be good out there. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Be good. Adios. You've been listening to The Hive Jive. We appreciate you joining us on our beekeeping adventures. And you can find out more information about today's episode online at thehivejive.com. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.